Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another Deep Rooted Podcast. I'm so glad you're here joining me today for another great message. This was taken from our Sunday service this past weekend. I hope that this encourages you. I hope it inspires you as we enter into 2024 and continue uh, off into 2024 off of our best foot and so we can have the best year ever. Hey, this message today is entitled Roads and Rivers. I believe it's going to bless you tremendously. What we have to do is forget the things behind us so we can move forward to the things ahead of us. And that's exactly what this message is all about. So strap on in, take some notes. I believe this will be a great message for you to listen to. Uh, I want to first off thank all of our partners, those who have given to the ministry, who give to the church faithfully week in and week out. We just want to say thank you uh, for your generosity and all the great things that you're doing here at Deep Rooted Church. You help make a lot of things possible. So if you want to start your giving journey with us today, uh, just go to deeprooted.church slash give, and you can go ahead and start all your giving right there. You can also text to give. Just text any dollar amount to the number 84321, and that'll get you squared away as well. But let's go ahead and jump into today's message called Roads and Rivers. I heard about these ministers who were discussing the seven seals in the end times. One of the ministers shared his great revelation to the others. He said, there is biblical proof that men will arrive in heaven 30 minutes sooner than the women. The other men asked him why he believes that. He went on to quote Revelations chapter 8 verse 1, which says, when the lamb broke open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 21. I didn't write that joke. I just heard it somewhere. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18. Today, I want to talk to you about something new. I want to talk to you about newness. I want to talk to you about starting a new year. I know we're already, what, three weeks into the, into the year. Oh, well, we can start now. That's fine. Uh, we had Vision Sunday to get through. That's why I consider today being a new, a new Sunday in the new year. We have new messages. Um, but I want to talk to you today about new things and about our specifically new seasons. Going into a new season of life, trans. Uh, transitioning from one place to another place. Um, and I want to share with you a couple of things in the scripture. If you're writing notes today, today's title is called Roads and Rivers. Roads and Rivers. And Isaiah chapter 43 says this, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of the old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, this people I have formed for myself, and they shall declare my praise. Now he's talking about us. We are his people. And we will declare his praise. And one of the things that, that sticks out to me, you've probably heard this verse many times when, it's, when people talk about vision or people talk about New Year. you probably heard so many messages this, this month called New Year, New Me, Same God, or something along those lines about newness, considering the new year. But one of the things that, I, that really stands out to me is how the Lord says that he will make a road in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert. Now, when you think of wilderness, I don't know what, what might come to your mind. I don't know what image you have. But to me, when I think of wilderness, of course, I always go back to the scriptures. I always go back to the context of the scriptures. Sometimes wilderness might look like a jungle to you. Or sometimes it might look like, I don't know, maybe something that you've seen on a movie or on a TV show. But the wilderness back then was literally nothing. It was just barren land with no fruit, no vegetation, no water, no roads, nothing. It was just 
land with no guiding points to get people from point A to point B. You ever wonder why it took the Israelites 40 years to get to the promised land? After God made them wander throughout the wilderness? Well, do you recall what happened before God sentenced them to 40 years in the wilderness? God led them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What was that? It was direction. It was guidance. But once they got to Mount Sinai and they broke the first commandment and they didn't obey the Lord with with what he asked them to do, there was no more pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they were on their own. Of course, they had Moses leading them, and then they complained, and then God did something great for them, and then they complained again, and then God did something great for them again. And finally, they got to this place where they were just so uh, annoying to Moses. Moses said, these are your people. They're not my people. And then they got to this place where God, he gave them over to what they were saying about themselves. I don't know if you remember this teaching that Dustin Barker came and taught on one time. He said that God didn't, God wasn't the one who made them go through the wilderness for 40 years. If you actually read the scripture, he says, as you've said, so let it be done. And they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. They were complaining so much about their circumstances that God just left them to their complaints and they wandered. But why did it take them so long to finally get to the place they were supposed to get to? There was no path, no road, nothing to lead them to the destination. If you look at, if you go and study the, the journey that they actually took, you'll see that it's not a very very long journey in regards to the world. It's not a long journey. I mean, it, it, it took a while, but it, 40 years is a long time to get from point A to point B on the map. It was a long time. And you'll see, if you ever look it up, that their journey was just out of the way. It did not go towards the place that they were supposed to go to. And if they would have just had direction, it would have made their path a lot easier. And God said, I will make a road in the wilderness. Now, imagine if you were stranded in the wilderness. Imagine if you were in that desert. There's no, nothing to give you any guidance. There's no pointing direction. There's nothing. You, you had nothing. All you had were the stars, but you're not an astrologer. You don't know any of those things or astronomer, whatever it's called. And, and all of a sudden, you're walking, you're walking and wandering throughout the wilderness And lo and behold, out of nowhere, here comes a road. And what would you do if you saw a road appear out of nowhere? Would you follow it? How about a river? Now you see a road popped up and all of a sudden to your left, here comes a little stream of water that you hear. And maybe you think you're hallucinating and you go look at it and you see this beautiful, lush, luscious river of water. And you go down to it and you take a drink from it, wash your hands, take a bath. Now you have flowing water and a river uh, and and a road. Those are two paths that are giving you direction. Those are two things that God's provided that leads you to somewhere else. And that's what the Lord has been showing me this, this year. We're only a couple weeks in, but regarding this, this new year and the vision that we presented to you last week and how God wants to expand the place of our tent, expand our territory, enlarge where we're at, God also wants to give us a new sense of direction in your life. Now, sometimes we might feel like we're stagnant. We might feel like we're in a, a place of complacency. Not much is happening. You know, I think I've reached my level of maturity. I think I've reached this level of spiritual maturity. What's next, Lord? Well, God is always a God of new. He is a God of new. He is a God of tomorrow. He was the God of yesterday, but he wants you to focus on the things for today and for tomorrow. And because of that, he likes to do new things. That's what he says. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old, but I will do 
a new thing. And God wants to do that for your life. And he wants to give you a new sense of direction to where he's calling you for this next year. And only those who want to follow it will receive all that he has for them. So if you're writing notes today, write this first point. Number one, it says, focus on the future and glance at the past. Focus on the future and glance at the past. You know, when God says, don't remember the former things, he's not saying forget everything ever. That's not what he's saying. There is a time to reflect. There's a time to think back and thank God. There's a time to remember those things. But what he was trying to say is don't remember your old life. Forget the old life. Forget the old way of thinking. Forget the old way of operating and the old way of believing for me. Forget the former things and look to the new things because I have something new for you. Uh, Of course, I believe all this was symbolic about our new creation, being a new creation in Christ. Behold, I am doing a new thing. He's creating a new creation, a new creature, and that happened to us when Jesus fulfilled the work on the cross. But also, I believe God's still doing new things in our life personally. He wants to show us something new, show us something good, and show us something that we can reach towards and run with. When we tend to reflect on the past, what do we usually think about? The good old days. Oh, the good old days. I will admit, I am very susceptible to thinking back on the good old days. Um, If you don't if you don't know who I am and my, my personality, then you wouldn't know that I'm a very emotional person. And uh, I have come a long ways. The Lord's shaped me and, and he has uh, done a work on me. However, I'm an emotional person. I don't believe that's a, di- a bad thing. I believe that I can harness it for, for a good thing. And uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, uh, about my personality, I like, I like emotions and I like those things. I like to watch a movie that tugs on the heart. I like to watch a show that, that draws me in. There was a couple of shows that me and Stephanie like to watch and sometimes one of the characters dies or the character moves away or in real life, they don't want to work at that show anymore so they just kick him out. And so I lose my favorite character and it hurts. I'm like, oh, I don't even want to watch this anymore. I like to feel, I really do. But one of the the disadvantages to that is I could tend to think back on when things were like this and when things were like that and begin to miss it. And when I do that, I begin to miss out on what's happening today. That's the danger of it. The danger of nostalgia. Nostalgia is a good thing. It, It can be a good thing. But... We need to be careful that we don't stay in the past too long. Looking back and remembering how good God has been is a good thing. Looking back and saying, man, God, you've you've done this. God, you've done that for me. Oh, my goodness, Lord. You've, You've taken me from here to here. You've done that. You've set me free from this. You've done amazing things. That's a good thing to do. It's not wise to forget what God's done for you. However, looking back and remembering how good it used to be. That's the bad thing. Looking back and saying, man, I wish it was like that again. Man, I wish it was how things used. Man, I wish our marriage was back in that honeymoon phase again. See, that's the danger of looking back for too long. In Lamentations uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 22, in the Amplified, it says this, It is because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed, because his tender compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great and abundant is your stability and your faithfulness. See, God's mercy is new every single morning. Every day is a new day with the Lord. Every single day. Um, When the Israelites were going through the wilderness, God provided manna every single day for them. And you know what he commanded them not to do? He said, don't store up yesterday's manna for today's manna is coming and that's sufficient for you. In other words, don't rely on yesterday's blessing to get you through today. You need to rely on today's blessing. Rely on what God's going to do today. Not what he did yesterday, what he's going to do 
today. When today's finished and tomorrow comes, don't rely on what he did today, but what he's going to do tomorrow. Every single day, we need to expect something fresh from God. Every day. Jesus even prayed it. Give us this day our daily bread. Not, Lord, thanks for the the bread that you gave us for the whole week. Give us today our daily bread. That's something that symbolizes right now, not yesterday, not even tomorrow, but today. So a lot of us faith people, we get into this, into the trouble of having faith for the future when faith is supposed to be now. Amen. Hebrews says what? Faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Didn't say tomorrow is the faith. Tomorrow faith is. It says now faith is. Now you need to have faith right now. Hope for the future, but have faith for today. Because when you just hope for the future and have faith for the future and and believe for the future, you're not going to do nothing today. You're just going to be like, someday, oh, someday the Lord will do this. Someday I'll get my breakthrough. Someday I'll receive my healing. Someday. And today will be wasted. There's an old proverb. I'm, I'm lying to you. This is actually from a cartoon. <laughs> but it is so wise that I wonder where they got this from. But it says, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That is why it's called present. That's deep, isn't it? It's a cartoon. Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That is why it's called present. And, man, you can, you, can, you can get some good things out of some cartoons. And we weren't even watching the cartoon for my son. It was because I wanted to watch it. But it's so true, though. Today, today is the gift. Today is the day that we make things happen. Not tomorrow. Not yesterday. We hope for things tomorrow, but today we take action to see those things come about tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Is this making sense this morning? I went really long during the offering, so i got to try to cut this one short. Unless you're willing to stay longer than normal. So instead of looking back in the past and wishing things were how they used to be, look towards the future and have an expectation that the best is still ahead of you. That the best is still ahead of you. Uh, my, my pastors, Jeremy and Sarah Pearsons, they went through this with their church, I believe, last year. Uh, I'm sorry, two years ago. And the whole year, they were encouraged to always respond to someone when they said, how are you doing? To say, better than ever. Because this next year for them was going to be better than ever. And I loved that because it got them into a routine and it got them into a a mindset that, you know what, yesterday might have been good, but there is still better ahead, that the best is still yet to come. And we all really need to have that that idea that, you know what, we might be on on top of the world today, but it doesn't have to go down. It doesn't have to go downhill. We can still have better days ahead, even if we're at the best that we've ever been at today. There's a, there's a lie that the world's trying to tell all of us, and that is that you have to decline once you hit a certain age. Over the hill at 40. See, I believe that we don't have to experience going downhill after a certain age, or after a certain experience, or after a certain, a certain breakthrough. We can continue to ascend up and up and up until we finally ascend with our creator. Amen? We can experience a better than ever life and have an expectancy that tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. Number two, write this down. Where he goes, we goes. Where he goes, we goes. And what this means is we have to get ourselves to a place in life where if God's not going, we don't want to go. If God's not doing it, I don't want a part of it. If God's not in it, 
I want to be out of it. Uh, because we can, just, we can get to a place where we just do things out of habit, do things because it looks good, like Lot. Lot went to go to the land that looked good to the eye. It was green and beautiful like the land of the Garden of Eden before they were kicked out of it. It was a beautiful land. And so he went that way because it looked good, yet that's not where God was going. That's not where God wanted him to go necessarily. And so we need to get to a place where if God does not want this for us, we don't want this for us. Psalms 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the the desires of your heart. I was doing some studying on this this week. The word delight is the Hebrew word anag, which means to be soft or pliable. To be soft or pliable. In other words, flexible. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be flexible, be pliable to what God wants. Bend your will to God's will, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, when you, when you, when you form yourself into what God wants you want, and wants for you, your desires that you once had will then transform into God's desires. That what God wants, I want it. If he tells me to go, then I want to go. If he's going forward, then I'm going forward. But if he's staying behind, I'm staying back with him. We don't go anywhere unless he goes. We don't do anything unless he wants us to do it. Amen? Where he goes, we goes. In Exodus chapter 40, it says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all of their journeys, but... If the cloud wasn't taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and a fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. So the cloud and the fire, they were a visible, visible manifestation of God's presence. That when God appeared as a cloud or appeared as a fire, that was a visible manifestation of his presence. Now, luckily for us, we don't need those things anymore. We don't need a visible representation that God's with us. We have God within us. He's always with us. He's always with us. And he's always telling us where and where not to go. But we have to be careful to listen. But this was showing wherever the Lord moved, they moved. And wherever the Lord stayed, they stayed. They did not do anything and go anywhere unless God went somewhere. Once the cloud started going, they packed up their things and they followed. That's what they did. You know what would have happened if they would have stayed put, if the cloud would have went moving? They would have lost them. God would have kept moving. God would have kept going. I got a good, me- good message for you today. Oh, I'm barely getting into it. But God would have kept moving if, if they wouldn't have packed up and left. When, when they saw the cloud, of, of the cloud move and the fire move, they moved with it. They didn't miss a beat. They wanted to make sure that they were with the Lord. See, there are people who are praying for God's very best and believing for blessings in their life, but they're not willing to move where God is trying to move them to. They're not willing to move where God wants them to move. So the truth is, we all have blessings given to us. The word says that all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are available to us. That's a promise. However, most of those blessings are only received by you going to where those blessings are located. If you're moving in a direction where the blessings are not, you cannot re- expect to receive the blessings. You only can expect to receive the blessings where the blessings are located. Like a football, or like a quarterback throwing a football. If the receiver runs to where the quarterback is throwing the football, he'll make the catch. He'll receive the ball. But if he makes a different route than other than the quarterback is throwing, he's going to miss the ball. See, the quarterback always throws the ball to where the receiver should be, not where they're currently at. He always throws it to where they should be. And if that receiver is fast enough, if that receiver had a good route, 
given the quarterback has a good throw, then he's going to make contact with the ball. You know what I hate? This, I hate this so much. And I hope... I hate it. I hate when I'm watching football. And I'm hoping that this, this, this announcement changes NFL forever. I hate when I'm watching football and the quarterback makes a perfect throw. The receiver's wide open. Catches the ball. And then just drops it. No contact was made with the other person. He just drops the ball. And then they give that quarterback an incomplete pass. I hate that so much. I wish the receiver was responsible for that, not the quarterback. If the quarterback's throwing 10 for 10, and he throws this throw, and then that receiver just doesn't catch it, now the quarterback's 11 for 10. He's not 100% anymore. You know why I hate that? Because Christians do that. God threw the ball to them, and they didn't catch it. You know what they did? Oh, it was God's fault. God didn't throw it good enough. God didn't give it to me how I wanted it. That wasn't what I was expecting. And they blame God for their own mistake. So when we are wanting to receive a blessing from the Lord, we have to understand that we need to move with him. Go with him. We've talked about Elijah many times in the brook Cherith and him going to the brook where God already commanded the ravens to feed him there. If he wasn't there, he wasn't going to receive the blessings. If he wasn't there, he wasn't going to receive provision. He had to go to a place called there. And my friends, all of us, all of us have a place called there. All of us do. I don't know what that looks like in all of your lives individually. I know what mine looks like and I'm there. I'm still going there. But we all have a place in our life that's called there that God wants us to go towards because he has something there in store for us. Amen? Amen. See, God, he's the author of peace, not the author of confusion. He will never lead us to a place of discomfort as long as you keep the Holy Spirit as your comforter. Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, but the comforter, will come. The comforter will come. I, I, I highly dislike when people say, you know, God's just calling me out of my comfort zone. Is he? You see, I understand what they're trying to say, but what they're, how they're saying it is wrong. Um, the only time God will call you out of your comfort zone and call you to do something that's outside of that comfort zone is when you've placed your comfort in something else besides him. That's the only time. The only time that you can say I'm uncomfortable, God's putting me in an uncomfortable position is because you've placed your comfort in something other than the comforter. If, you're, if you are in the Holy Spirit, if you are in and walking in the Spirit, you should be comfortable. You should be at peace. For example, I am introverted. I am, I am a, a homebody. I like to stay home. I don't like going out much. Going to the store takes a lot from me. And it, it, I mean, I saw this post the other day that I really resonated with. And it said, I'm like one of the best. I could be either the best friend or the worst friend to you. The best friend, because I'm so laid back, you could not message me or text me for two weeks straight, and I wouldn't even be upset because I forgot about it. That's how laid back I am. I just don't even think, oh, this person hasn't talked to me in this long. I don't care. Or I could be the worst friend because I, I fail to check up because I'm just so at home by myself. And so it's a pro and con. But my, my, what I could say is, you know, God, God called me to preach to make me uncomfortable, to put me in front of people, get me uncomfortable. I love this. This is one of the most comfortable places I am. I, I love being here. I love talking to you. I love being here and going to Bible studies with you guys. That is where I, that's my jam, you know? 
But anywhere else, I, I don't want to be there. I, I kind of want to go home. I just want to go, go on, on my couch and hang out with my dogs and hang out with my son and my wife. But when I, when I, if I say God's making me uncomfortable with my calling, God's made me a pastor to get me out of my comfort zone, that would be because I'm placing my comfort in something other than him. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for him. And because of it, I'm comfortable. I love it. This is what I'm made to do. This is my place called there. And he always provides. Amen? So number three, if you're writing things down, write this one. Don't look back. One of the things that I love about running is all the techniques that they show you when you're, when you're running for sport. Uh, specifically, if you're, if you're running a, a track. When you get to the finish line, what do they usually teach you to do? Reach forward. And also, not to look back at your opponents. If you're running your race and you're looking behind you to see who's there and you're looking to the other side, you're either going to get out of your lane or you're going to slow down. You can't effectively run your race while looking back. But also, when you get to that finish line, he reaches out his chest to finish strong, to finish early. And even I've even seen this in, in, in these, these, close up, uh, these close races where they had to get a snapshot of it, a photo finish, where that can literally win someone, someone a race by just reaching their chest out. That one little hair can cross the line and make them win the whole thing. There's an importance that when we're running our race to not look back, when we're entering into a new season, into a new year, to not look back at all the things that used to be, or, or not even look back at where we once were. It's, it's good to glance, like I said, but not to, to stare, not to think, and not to ponder. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of, of, that which is, uh, of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Someone say, one thing, one thing. I, do. I do. This is the one thing that he got really good at. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. If Paul had one message and one thing that he did very well and did it the best, it was this. This one thing I can do. I've done many things. I've built tents. I've gone to this place. I've done this. I've seen this happen. But this one thing that I do, I forget the things behind me and I reach for the things ahead of me. I forget what happened in the past and I reach forward to the things which are ahead of me. And verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. That is the one thing that he did and he did a good job of. Reaching towards and pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's one thing we need to get good at. Get good at one thing and one thing only, forget what's behind and reach towards what's ahead. So one of the reasons why Paul was so successful in his ministry is because he was single-minded. He, he just, he had one vision, one goal in mind, preach the gospel. At, no, at, at all expenses, just go preach the gospel. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it does to me. I don't care what happens to me. All I know is I have to go preach the gospel. And that's what he did, and he did it good. Because he had one goal in mind, one vision, one goal. Again, this doesn't mean to forget everything ever. But forget what you used to trust in before God. See, Paul, one of his, one of, I believe, of Paul's greatest revelations of grace that he's had was the, was the revelation of my accomplishments are nothing if it's not for Christ, if it wasn't because of Christ. All the things that I've done in my own life, nothing. But the things that I do because of the righteousness of God in me, that's everything. That's, I believe that's one of the biggest revelations he had. Because he was a very accomplished man. 
very educated man, someone who was of high stature, someone who people valued. And here he was saying, all of my accomplishments, everything I've done, they're like dung, worthless. But to who I am in Christ, that is everything. If we can understand that, if we can get a hold of that understanding that we need to forget what we used to trust in, trusting in our own self, trusting in our own works, trusting in, in me being good enough, trusting in all that, forget about that and reach towards and trust that God has already made you perfect through Jesus. And not just that, but forgetting the past mistakes that you have made. That holds people back so much. Yes, it does. That is one of the most crippling yep. effects that the devil can have towards someone is reminding them about all of the stuff that they've done. You're not good enough. You shouldn't be here today. Who are you to say you're a Christian? I know what you did last night. See, forgetting the past mistakes that we've made, we're imitating God. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. If Christ forgave and forgot all of our sins, then who are you to remember? That's right. The Bible says that he remembers our sins no more. Who are you to remember your sins? If Almighty God has chosen not to remember, who are we to sit there and say, I remember all of them? Makes you think. In James chapter 1, he says this, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now again, like I said, Paul was a single-minded man. He had one vision in mind, one goal in mind, and he accomplished it because he was single-minded. The results for being double-minded is unstable. It's, it's not receiving anything from the Lord because you're unstable. Let me give you an example. When people say, you know, I have faith for this, but just in case it doesn't work out, I have this backup plan. That's double-mindedness. That's double-mindedness. You can't believe for the best while planning for the worst. You can't believe God to do the best thing in your life while expecting and planning for the worst thing to happen in your life. You only can choose. Either I'm going to expect the worst or I'm going to believe for the best, but you cannot have both at hand or else you're just like this man. You're unstable. You're driven and tossed by the, we, uh, by the wind for let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord because he is unstable. Doubt is the only thing that will prevent you from receiving the promises of God in your life. We've been through this many times and we've, we've talked about many, many scriptures that, that include this. But the issue that you have isn't a faith issue. And I hear many people say that. Oh, I just don't have enough faith. I just, my faith isn't there to receive that's not, the, that's not the issue. See, Peter walked on water, and then Jesus says, why were you afraid, oh, you have little faith? So if little faith got Peter to walk on water, if a mustard seed of faith can cause a mountain to move, if all of those great men and women of God in the Bible did what they did because of their little faith, you don't need great faith to do much. What you need is no doubt. That's what you need. And that's a good thing because you have to know that Jesus, he's given us, he's imputed his faith into us. He's given us his faith just as it was in him. Paul even said, he said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for me. Not a similar faith not faith like his, not even faith in him, faith of Jesus. I live by that now. And in, in, in Romans, Paul says it again. He says, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of, but think soberly as God has dealt to each man the measure of faith. It's one measure to all mankind one time. You don't need more of it. 
Some people exercise more of that one measure than others, just like a muscle. All of us have the same muscles as Arnold Schwarzenegger. All of us do. Or Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But if you don't work them out, you won't use them. You won't look like that. All that they've done was worked them out with a little bit of other things. But the reality is, I could become as big and macho as one of them if I wanted to. I don't want to. That's why I'm like this, because I just don't want to. But I have those same muscles. Just like you have the same faith as Jesus. You have the same faith as Paul. The same faith as Peter. The same faith as me. The same faith as anyone that you admire that's done great stuff for the kingdom of God. You have the same measure of faith. It's just that you might not use that measure to the full extent that it can be used. But faith's not the issue. Regardless if you use the full measure of it or a little measure of it, that's not the issue. The issue is you have doubt in your heart that you truly don't believe that this can happen. If you eliminate that, your faith will work perfectly. And that's what he says here. Let him ask in faith, no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. A few examples of this might be, I know God has a plan for me, but... I don't want to leave my friends. This promotion seems like a blessing from God, but I miss my old responsibilities. I love where our marriage is at right now, but remember our honeymoon phase? Wish we can go back to that. That's being double-minded. Being in a current situation and all of a sudden thinking about something else. Think about what used to be. Being in the present while thinking at the past, about the past. That's being double-minded. Again, we, we can have a glance at the past if we'd like. To think back of how good God's been and what he's done for us and great memories we have. That's why we take photos. We want to remember those things. But we don't want to stay back in the past. We want to move ahead into the future. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, uh, it says, when, he saw, when Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave the command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. See, most churches would accept anyone with this level of commitment to just serve in their church. Oh, whatever you need, I'll, I'll serve. Whatever you want me to do, I'll, I'll do it. But not Jesus. Jesus looks at the heart, not at what you can say or what you want to do. He looks at the heart. He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. See, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds, have the, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, people have made this and, and they've made it to say that Jesus was poor. What he was explaining to this man was there's a cost to this. There's a cost to following me. I'm a traveling minister. I don't have a place to stay. I don't have a home to go to. I'm always moving. I'm always going from place to place. There is no rest in what I'm doing. Are you sure you're up for that? Are you sure you can handle what I'm going to do? That's what he was telling this young man. And it says that another came to him, said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. So people think that this is neglecting your family, an excuse to neglect the family. It's not it either. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your family, but it becomes wrong when you use that as an excuse not to do what God's told you to do. That's when it becomes wrong. Another example of this is God calling you to go do something, but you saying, Lord, let me wait until I'm retired. Then I'll go do it. You're using it as an excuse. Nothing wrong with retirement. But when you use that as an excuse to put the plans of God on hold, that's when it becomes wrong. You think God don't know you have five more years left? We need to be careful that we don't put these priorities ahead of the Lord. If you're about to make a life-altering decision, 
If you're about to do something with your life that's going to change the directory of your life forever, you need to evaluate the cost. You need to evaluate the cost. Nothing good ever comes for free. Nothing good. Not even your salvation was free. It was paid for by Jesus. Our books that you get for free, someone paid for them. The church service you get to sit in in today, it ain't free. Someone has to pay for this. Someone has to keep all this up. Someone has to keep all the lights on. Someone has to do all these things to let you come in here and be comfortable and, and have church. See, nothing in life that's good is free. Everything that is good has a cost to it or else it wouldn't be good. That's what makes it valuable. Cost makes things valuable. What you're willing to pay for it makes it valuable. In Luke chapter 9, this is the same story, yet Luke records one more person coming to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go preach the gospel, uh, go preach the kingdom of God. And also another said, Lord, I will follow you. So this one just came to him. He said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, all he was trying to communicate with them and with us today is to put God first. That's it. Just to put God first. Don't use life. Don't use family. Don't use anything. Work as an excuse to delay the call of God on your life. To delay what God wants you to do. God set the road in the wilderness. He's put the river in the wilderness. It's for you to get direction and guidance. But don't let something in your life cause you to put that plan on hold. There's a cost to everything that God has called us to do. See, if you try to plow and look to the right or look to the left, even look back, what you'll end up finding is that the furrows that you made are crooked. They won't be straight. And to have an effective crop, you have to have straight lines. And when you put your hand to the plow and you look around and you look back and you're not paying attention, you're not going to be effective with what you're doing. In other words, to succeed in your Christian walk, you need to be focused on the prize ahead. That's it. To succeed in the Christian walk. Did you know there's people who, millions of people, are not going to succeed in this life, in their Christian walk. Oh, Matthew, what do you mean? They're going to go to heaven. Yeah, sure, they're going to go to heaven, but they didn't. They didn't. When they get to the end of their life, can they say the same thing that Paul said? I have finished my race. I fought the good fight of faith. I ran the course. I did it. I completed it. Are are you able to say that at the end of your life? I finished my race. I did exactly what God wanted me to do. I finished. Time to go home. There's a story of a minister who faced death a couple of times in his life. Wasn't his time. Got back up, walked around, preached the gospel, traveled all over the world. Till one day, he was sitting in his kitchen after a bowl of breakfast, looked at his wife and said, I'm done. And he went on to be with the Lord right there. Chose his way out. That's available to us. The Bible talks talks about death reigning through Adam's sin. But Christ came, and now death no longer reigns, but we reign through Christ. Do you know 
you get to decide when it's your time. Unpopular opinion, even in the church. We don't let death dictate when we're done. It's, it's, it's so sad seeing ministers and people leave early with a job left, with, with their calling still left for someone else to fulfill. But I don't know about you. I, I want to go out in my life and say, you know what? I'm done. I did what you told me to do. There's nothing left for me to do on this earth, Lord. Take me home. Thank you, Lord. So my question to you today, as we all go out this, throughout this new year, are you willing, are you willing to forget about what happened last year? For some, last year was a great year. Some of the best years you've ever had was last year. For some, Last year was the worst year of your life. You would hate to relive it. For others, last year contained some of the best years, some of the best thing that's ever happened to you, and it also contained some of the worst things that's ever happened to you. Regardless, I encourage you to forget. Forget the past. Forget 2023. Yeah, reflect on it. Thank God for the good things. Just like as you're driving in your car, you, you glance at your rearview mirror, but you look through your windshield. Thank God for the good things, but forget the past and reach forward to what God has in store for you today and for what God has in store for you for this year. Amen.